Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rodzeski, here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Mort Sherman and Valerie Truesdale of AASA, the School Superintendents Association. AASA is the professional organization for more than 13,000 educational leaders in the United States and throughout the world, including superintendents, senior administrators, professors, and aspiring school system leaders. Together, they help shape policy, oversee its implementation, and represent school districts to the public at large. Mort is the Associate Executive Director of AASA's Leadership Network, and Valerie is its Assistant Executive Director. Mort and Valerie, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Wonderful to be with you. Mort and Valerie, AASA has been around for a while, since 1866, just after the conclusion of the Civil War, which makes your organization 155 years old. And we're willing to bet that in all of those 155 years, these past two, 2020 and 2021, have been more unique than most. Superintendents have had to make some extraordinarily difficult decisions, the likes of which they'd never been trained for, and they continue to have to make those decisions. So Mort, can you give us an overview of AASA's leadership network? Our core is serving children and the leaders who support them. And I think each year is unique. Each year is distinct. Each and every year has its own opportunity and its challenges. The way kids look at each year is unique. Whether you're in 1866 or 1906 or 2021, can you imagine growing up during Reconstruction? Oh, by the way, a lot of kids didn't even get schooling. And the American high school didn't start until the 1890s. And then living through World War I and World War II and the Korean War and the Vietnam War and on and on. So I think sometimes our lens has to be sharpened. I want to respect the generations that preceded us that had distinct, unique challenges and opportunities for their work as well. What you've just described is a challenge to us to dismiss that false narrative, that schools have been iterative for 155 plus years. Yes, there were some unique challenges to this pandemic period, but as you point out, there are contexts and circumstances. It has been violence and injustice and trauma and other things that communities, their schools, the teachers, students, and their families have experienced for years. And when we think about kids, developing in those contexts, the ways that they've approached their identity, their sense of belonging, the way they've consumed and produced information, it too has been iterative. My first year teaching was in 1970 at Thomas Edison High School, Nathan Lee High Street, the other side of the state from where you are. And I taught in an all-boys high school. And you tell me those kids 50 years ago during the Vietnam War who grew up in abbreviated schedules with police and dogs in the hallways of that school weren't living really distinct and tough ways. We get carried away saying, uh, oh my God, our challenges today are so different and so hard. I always want to look through the eyes of kids at what they're facing. And that's a problem when we look at one lens serving all kids. That's just not the way it has been nor should be in the future. 
I think you're absolutely right, Mort. The educational process, the learning process, is a growth process. And John Dewey taught us that we do not learn from experience. We learn from reflecting upon experience. So as we are reflecting upon this moment in time, this time of a pandemic, of unprecedented change, the rapid pace of the current changes, I think has been something that has taxed many systems, including the educational system. And so what we're trying to do at AASA is be the steady support mechanism for the public educators, particularly the leaders in our country who are trying and who are very much holding our communities together. Let's reground ourselves and particularly for our listeners here. Tell us about AASA and the Leadership Network and some of its programs and services. We've always been a membership organization. Many decades ago, we also evolved into becoming an advocacy arm. Seven or eight years ago, we began to scale professional learning for America's 13,600 superintendents and their teams that lead districts. So we have a large number of programs. Those that are our cornerstone programs certify folks in the superintendent role principal supervisor role and others. And then we have a number of programs in the aspiring superintendency. And we have those for really building a diverse talent pipeline, which is part of our Learning 2025 cornerstone items. And then we have a large number of programs for connections and networking, believing that when educators come together from all across this great country, Their minds come together around problems of practice, and we can solve together. Things like the National Women's Leadership Consortium, the Social-Emotional Learning Cohort, Redefining Ready Cohort is helping us define what does it mean for a student to be college, career, and life ready. We have urban superintendents academies to prepare folks to work in areas such as I did in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools. There's a wide array of programs, academies, and support groups that come together to help superintendents and their teams learn and grow, and we call it Leadership Network. So in this particular moment of disruption, it might be natural to want to just get through it. Let's get through this as quickly as we can. Let's get back to normal as quickly as we can. But that's not the course that AASA has set out to chart. Instead, recently you've launched something called Learning 2025, which calls for nothing short of holistically redesigning the public school system by 2025. So let's start with the obvious. Why is now the time to start rethinking the system? We know that in the preamble to our Constitution, that when we talk about forming a more perfect union, that it's a continual process. It's not ever done. This particular document, this particular set of recommendations called an American Imperative, a new vision for public schools, is founded in our public commitment to serving all kids through public schools. Before we go a little bit deeper about what some of the recommendations are and why it's such an imperative, I do want to emphasize this issue of democracy and constitution for all of us. The commitment to public education has to do with the very purpose of public education, which is in order to create literate, participating, productive citizens in order to sustain and enhance our democracy. If we don't sustain and enhance public schools to sustain and enhance democracy, we fail as a society. This document is called an imperative because 
our perfect union is not complete. It's an ongoing process. But the time now has reached the point where we need to be honest, candid, and upfront about the issues, which in some cases have been dormant for a long time. And I'll read just one sentence. We as a nation are painfully divided and face a series of systemic and cultural crisis. And the COVID-19 pandemic laid bare profound issues that we have known about for decades, but have addressed with only minimal success. And so my answer to why now, because it is a time when remarkable people came together and said, let's raise our voices. Let's not react, but let's build a proactive future and talk about what we might do collectively rather than other people saying to us, you're not doing it. Let us be honest. And so I think this moment is about honesty. Valerie, in the spirit of John Dewey, Mort has reminded us about the central role of public education as a cornerstone for this American democracy. So as we think about our public schools looking ahead to 2025 and this vision that AASA has published in Learning 2025, can you tell us about some of the goals What is it meant to redesign? Another quote that I'd like to bring in here, Mort, maybe think of it, is Winston Churchill is often given credit for saying a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. I've led my whole career of over 30 years as a school district leader with that intentionality that when you are faced with disruption, it's an opportunity to grow. When we seated the commission, the National Commission, on student-centered, equity-focused, future-driven education. It was to prepare our students for their futures, not our past. If you were to fundamentally redesign American education to be more student-centered, equity-focused, and future-driven, what would need to change? That was our essential question. And they crafted 11 key areas of redesign, three of which are essential. One is we have to focus on the whole learner. The commission broadened whole student to whole learner, saying that teachers and leaders are also learning and that we have to pay attention to social emotional learning needs of all, as well as their cognitive and academic needs. The second key fundamental area is that all children have to be stretched and served. All kids need to be safe and honored for their culture, their background, and their ability to grow. We call it anti-marginalization, that no child should be marginalized, left on the side. And the third piece is that we have to be future-driven. Again, looking at what's coming forward, there are eight other areas of redesign that were recommended by our commission. Another key point that the commission brought forward is that practice should drive policy, not policy driving practice. And so we're in the process right now of identifying school systems who are interested in advancing their knowledge and depth of connection and understanding in these redesign areas. And we call that Learning 2025 Network of School Systems. AASA's report says that this sort of systemic redesign has to happen within an intentional relationships-based culture. I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. What does that sort of culture look like and how is it different than what maybe we're used to? We must take a look at how to come forward with different ways of reaching all learners that we've never thought about before. With the advances in technology and science, the relationships are critical. If a child doesn't feel like they belong, they don't feel safe, 
they don't feel included, then when you have to go to remote learning or when you are disconnected, they check out and they go in a different direction, as do teachers, as do leaders. The human connection matters. And that's one of the things that was deeply embraced by this commission. I was personally completely inspired by the 27 great leaders on this commission and the depth of thought that they brought to the table. This is Greg Baer, along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Mort Sherman and Valerie Truesdale of AASA, the School Superintendents Association. This new vision that AASA has put forward states that by 2025, learning must be entirely reoriented around the learner. And in the education field, we often hear terms like this. What types of things need to change in order to get there? Let me give you two or three quick examples. First example is access to higher level courses. AP courses, for example, because it's interesting, right? The research is really clear when you open those courses. Kids self-select. It doesn't mean they're all going to self-select. It doesn't mean they're all going to succeed. But when they do self-select, average AP scores increase as participation increases. Then the second, across our country, we have discipline codes in place which are punitive, which are not reflective of social justice, which are in some ways racist in the sense that the majority of kids often in school districts who are punished or in discipline are students of color. How much better it might be if we created more culturally responsive situations where children are given the opportunity to go beyond fitting the kid into the curriculum, into the structure. And what we should be doing is figuring out how to help kids find their place in schools, to personalize the curriculum, to provide them the resources where they can succeed rather than having them try to fit our mold. So whether it's discipline, access to higher level courses, personalizing education, all of that should be with where is that student? How do we take that student and help him or her learn in a way that's going to match their needs and help them succeed and get them off to a great start in life. Mort, thank you for those examples. And you're absolutely right. Every young person has passions and interests. Every young person deserves enrichment to feed those passions and interests that might help them soar in all sorts of other subjects and opportunities. So the Learning 2025 vision, it's interesting that it talks a lot about resources. It talks about making sure that every child has access to broadband, making sure that every family has access to high-quality early learning opportunities, making sure that every school has a diverse pipeline of educators. Now, of course, these are all things that are related to and impact public school systems, but they're not always talked about being part of the public school system, especially when we think about broadband and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about why these things comprise such an integral part of AASA's vision? It sounds like in some ways, you're really rethinking what school districts ought to do, what they ought to provide for their communities. When the pandemic hit, there was an imperative for America's educators to feed the children. The children were not coming to school, but we are key feeders of kids. We had to partner with the community to figure out how to make sure to do that. That underscores the importance of something that the National Commission said, and that is that it's not about schools. It's about school systems. The community has a responsibility and a deep interest in making sure that all of its children are educated. And how do we begin to do that? It is important to reach out to the Boys and Girls Club to head start our early learning, our daycares, health and human services, of course now the health departments, and 
our internet service providers. With our students in this country not all having access to broadband, that is not acceptable. Kids are constantly learning. They're particularly learning on their phones and their computers. Without broadband, we are hamstringing an entire group of students who will be left in the margin. The schools can't do it alone. There has to be resources beyond that we all gather together if we're going to be successful in making sure that every child's gifts are uncovered and stretched. If we look at school systems through a new lens, that it's not additional funding that's needed. It's better spending of the funding that's available. Again, when I was superintendent in a district, we knew that we probably had the largest range of mental health professionals in any community, whether it's our counselors, our psychologists, our social workers. And yet it just was so frustrating to me that serving our kids during the day was done pretty well by professionals who care deeply about the kids. And then after school, many of those kids would go home and be met by a separate set of social workers or community resources rather than one system working together, combining the necessary services for kids between the school system and the municipalities. There are communities across the country that are tackling this issue successfully. So when you raise the question of funding, I think it's also a question of reallocation and focusing on a systems level across communities, assuring that kids are getting the attention, the resources in a concerted fashion rather than a separate fashion. The final point about that, we know across America that over 50% of our kids are living in poverty. And we can ignore this issue of resources, particularly when Valerie talks about technology and others. If we do, we're going to continue to exacerbate the huge divide that already exists. So Mort and Valerie, the Learning 2025 vision is out there. It was released in April 2021, and our listeners can Google Learning 2025 or maybe even more specifically go online to aasacentral.org slash learning2025. So what comes next? What do you hope to see? What do you expect to see? How will we change those systems in communities across this country and across the nation? What we plan for the next phase of this implementation, recognizing that everyone is at different places in their growth process, whether it's an individual or a system, to take a look at where are you in the continuum and that we would then chart that in a school system dashboard, if you will, to be able to help folks see this is what we're moving towards. This is where we're going. It's like benchmarks on a marathon. What are those milestones that I want to attack as I'm preparing for my marathon? This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. So for instance, if your school district is working towards a more personalized and I would submit even customized way of learning for each student, and how do you relate to other school systems? We've put 2025 a stake in the ground so that we push the urgency. What's next? We have over 100 school systems who have raised their hand to say, we want to learn and grow together. We want to chart our continuum of progress together, and we want to create better conditions in which children thrive. And those 100-plus school systems will be a lighthouse for this nation. So Mort and Valerie, before we go, just one more question. And Valerie, I'll turn to you first, please. 
What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? If parents who are our children's first teachers can remember that there's joy in learning, and we learn through play with our youngest children, and as teenagers, project-based learning, the joy of figuring something out and pushing it forward. And for teachers the same way, I think the key that I would say, one thing that we can do to do better as a country is to remember the joy of learning. Thank you. And Mort? I would have every parent, every teacher, every community member say to every child every day, you know, this work that we're doing is important. And not only is it important, you could do it. I know you could do it. And by the way, not only is it important and you could do it, but I won't give up on you. I am here for you. And even when you've given up on yourself, please know I won't give up on you. So in addition to joy, I would add hope and belief and an affirmation of the efficacy of each and every child every day. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org slash tomorrow.